One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume. Called the Book of Acts, and it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a road map for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival it's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. But that was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. But it wasn't all fun and games. Being God's temple is serious business, just like in the Old Testament. So you might know about that strange story in the book of Leviticus about two priests who disrespect God in the temple and then suddenly die. Well, Luke includes here a similar story of two disciples who dishonor God's spirit in this new temple, and they suffer a similar fate. So there's corruption in the community. But the bigger problem is coming from the outside. 
Yeah, from the other temple. Its leaders are threatened by this new messianic movement, and so they arrest the apostles, they try to stop them. And this brings us to the final story in the Jerusalem section of Acts. We're introduced to a new disciple, Stephen. Oh yeah, Stephen, he's on fire. He steps up as a leader among the disciples to serve the poor, and he would go to the temple courts to teach people about the way of Jesus. So the temple leaders arrest Stephen, and they find false witnesses to accuse him of dishonoring Moses and of being a terrorist who's threatening the temple. In response, Stephen gives this powerful speech about how predictable this whole situation was. Yeah, he retells the whole Old Testament story, highlighting characters like Joseph, Moses, and the prophets, people who are consistently rejected and persecuted by their own people. Israel's been resisting God's representatives for centuries, and so their rejection of Jesus and now of his followers is a rejection of God himself. They get angry, and they start to execute him by picking up rocks and smashing him to death. And as he's dying, he commits himself to the way of Jesus, to suffer because of the sins of others. He even cries out, Lord, don't hold the sin against them. This is basically what Jesus said at his death. Exactly. Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Jesus movement, with many more to come. But this persecution contains seeds of hope, which is why Luke introduces us to a new character here, a religious leader named Saul. He stands over Stephen's dead body and even approves of the whole thing. Wait, Saul, you mean the man who becomes the apostle Paul? Yes, Luke is showing how even this tragic murder can't stop Jesus' kingdom. And so many persecuted disciples scatter out of Jerusalem, and just as Jesus said, they head into Judea and Samaria. Now, the story of what happens there, that's what the next section of Acts is all about. So today as I focus uh, on those 40 days with Jesus, what I want to do is ask the question of what was Jesus through his physical presence and the spirit teaching his church and preparing them to do in these 40 days? I'll revisit the theme and answer some of those questions whenever we have that reflection time with Dave, because today I just want us to really focus on the actual story and feel ourselves there with Jesus, with his disciples as they experience those 40 days. And then next month, we will move on to focus on the personal work of the Spirit in our lives with the Holy series where we talk about holiness. So looking at these 40 days with Jesus, it's a little challenging to piece together a lot of different witness statements from people who are telling the story from different perspectives for different purposes. Some of them, like Luke, who wrote their account decades later, um, to be able to read this period of time and all of the different Gospels and Acts and understand which stories were the same story and which ones were together. So for today, what I did is I went back through all of the Gospels and Acts and even a few letters that Paul wrote where we hear about those times where Jesus showed up to his disciples in these 40 days. Um, and I've tried to align them in the timeline. Some of those events tell us specifically what day it happened. The rest of them leave it a little bit open. So if I refer to the date and the day number or the week of an occurrence, it may be in the Bible or it may not. So that's a challenge for you to go look at the last few chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, as well as the first chapter of Acts to kind of see the timeline. But I'm just trying to tell it in a way that we feel like we're spending those 40 days with Jesus. Um, there's an interesting symmetry that occurred to me, and I don't know if this was God's purpose at all, but I know that in the scriptures we're often supposed to think about the numbers and the things that reflect and mirror each other. So when I was thinking about these 40 days that Jesus spent, 
it reminded me of that, uh, those 40 days that occurred right after his baptism. Right after the Spirit descended, God said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus left into the wilderness for 40 days, away from the disciples, away from the people, to be tempted and to fast and not eat. That's where he, he achieved that victory that we didn't achieve whenever he chose to follow God's way and not the world's way and not his own way. Um, and I thought that's an interesting reflection that now after his ministry has concluded on earth in that physical form, after he's died and resurrected, it feels to me kind of like he needs to make up those 40 days where he didn't get to spend it with his disciples. And now he's going to spend these 40 days visiting, teaching, talking, and eating and dining with them. And I just see that beautiful image um, of an occurrence here. But before we get into these 40 days, let's just spend a moment to think about the backstory and the context. So Jesus spent three years in his ministry just stirring the hearts of his disciples and the community that there was hope, that there was a new way to live, that all of the loss and the failure of these people's history could be restored, could be remade, redeemed, and that the king could set things right. So they loved his ministry, calling up the meek and the poor and the beggars and the wounded and everyone has been cast off. And they saw him, he's, that he may be the Messiah. And he's going to come and he's going to restore Israel. He's going to break us away from Rome. He's going to set things right. We'll worship in the temple like God intended. We'll live the way God intended. All of those lamentations from the prophets about how we've fallen short, this Jesus is going to set it right. And then he died. He was drug out into the city. He was betrayed by one of his own. And in the result of his crucifixion came chaos. This community was splintered and spread. The disciples ran. They headed for cover. They were scattered. So in this moment where we thought new creation was coming, instead we'll fall back into the abyss where there's confusion and chaos and disorder. But after three days, when the spirit comes into his body again, and Jesus breathes in his new physical form, and he sits up, and he leaves that tomb, he brings order again. Now new creation really can start. He starts drawing them back together. He starts redirecting them. And that's where we see recreation happening and order brought into the world. So let's pick up with, uh, with a story right there on that Sunday morning. I'm going to be reading along a little bit of a paraphrase combining some of these ver uh, sections of scripture for us to try to feel this story as we follow along. So day number one, the Sunday of resurrection. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. This was the same woman for whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. 
For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them, I have seen the Lord and gave them his message, they didn't believe her. Well, that afternoon, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, oh, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Well, this all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus made as if he was going to continue on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but at that moment he disappeared. Well, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within that hour, they were on the way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord is really risen. After you left, he appeared to Peter. 
Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Later that evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. When he arrived that night, they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. On the eighth day after his resurrection, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. Then he said to Thomas, put your hands, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Sometime in the next week, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom were still alive when Paul mentioned it in Corinthians, although some had died by that point. Then perhaps another week had passed before the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go in a place where he had promised to meet them earlier in the Gospels. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, making disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the final week before his ascension, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Well, then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. 
and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and went wherever you want to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die, but that isn't what Jesus said at all. As his ascension neared and the 40 days of physical presence came to a close, Jesus appeared to his half-brother James, but the words and moments shared in that visit will remain between them. Then Jesus led them to Bethany. The apostles kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your king, our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he blessed them, lifting his hands to the sky. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up through a cloud into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him in heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Think about those days that Jesus spent with his disciples. Meditate on those. See if you can find the themes that are in there that he wanted to teach us, and we'll revisit some of those in a few weeks.
Um, and you can also read Acts chapter 2 to prepare for next week's lesson. Lord, we thank you for, for the way that you walk with us, for the way that you stand beside us when we don't know you're there. We thank you for, for the time that you just want to spend with us, to eat with us, to talk with us, to be with us. We pray that you would help us to see that relationship and that closeness, that desire that you have, and that we could also share that for others. Um, that in the midst of hurry and stress and challenge, that we take a moment to be like you and to be with people um, as we focus on becoming more and more like you uh, through this lesson series. We pray that you would be with us this week and go with us as we walk outside of this space, out into the place around us like the disciples to just preach through our lives and our words and our prayers who you are and to show the good news to everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen.